I'm going to talk about numbering our days. So if you have your Bible or your phone, turn to Psalm 90. Psalm 90. This is one of those unusual psalms. It was not by David, the psalmist. It was actually by Moses. How many of you knew that Moses actually wrote a psalm? Isn't that crazy? I know. Most people don't even think about it. You just kind of read right through and never see that. I want to read Psalm 90 out loud. It's not on the screen, but you can listen and read on your phone or in your Bible, okay? We'll start in verse 1. Uh, Moses, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place or refuge in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed or gave birth to the earth and the world, and even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man to destruction and say, Return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, and like a watch in the night. You carry them away like a flood. They are like a sheep, asleep, excuse me, like a sleep. In the morning they are like grass which grows up. In the morning it flourishes and grows up. In the evening it's cut down and withers. For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we are terrified. You've set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength, they are 80 years. Yet their boast is only labor and sorrow. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long, and have compassion on your servants. O satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us the years in which we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And I want to read just the last few verses in the New Living Translation. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. Satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love, so we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. Give us gladness in proportion to our former misery. Replace the evil years with good. Let us, your servants, see you work again. Let our children see your glory. And may the Lord our God show us his approval and make our efforts successful. Yes, make our efforts successful. And you've got to realize Moses has just completed leading the children of Israel to the edge of the promised land. He has seen the worst and the best. He's seen a whole generation who became obstinate and rebellious to God and died in the desert. He saw their children whom they said would 
who they cursed and basically said, our kids are all going to die in this desert. He saw those children rise up and become powerful men and women who loved God and were ready to cross into the promised land under Joshua's leadership. Moses is reflecting back on his life, the good and the bad, and he, and he comes up with this one observation that he says every person should do, and that is to number our days. Number our days. What does that mean? When you count something out, whether you have a bag of M&M's or a jar of pennies, when you count something out or number it, it requires focus. It requires attention. I am 62 years old this right now, almost 63 in just a few weeks. That's 22,630 days behind me. Now, I hope to live at least another 25 years. I know I'm maybe optimistic because I had a heart attack in 2012. It was a minor heart attack, and I got a stint put in behind my heart in one of the arteries. But I had a heart test a few months ago, and I passed it with flying colors. So I'm hoping, hoping for at least 25 more years. But that's only 40% more of my life possibly ahead of me. If I number, number those days, it equals a little over 9,000 days left. When I think about 9,000 days, I think, wow. That could go by really fast. And that's if I stay healthy and don't drive crazy or, or go out and drive on the weather conditions like I did the other day. It's sobering. How about you? How many, what percentage of your life is already behind you? When you're young, you say, my whole life is before me. I can live anywhere and be or do whatever I want, right? Many of you remember those days, some of us. Then when you become parents and more middle age, you say, my career is set, my location is fixed, my kids can be anything they want. And then a little further along, when you become grandparents, you say, I had a great life. There was so much I thought I would do, and I never got around to doing. Many of us are in that place. It's really kind of a matter of perspective, right? Have any of you ever been up in a hot air balloon? Got it. Got it. There, good. There's one. So I love, I haven't been up, but I've, I've been on... I've watched video from being inside the basket under a hot air balloon looking down. They had one of those, uh, what do they call those cinemas where it goes all the way around you? Yeah, one of those was really amazing. And uh, it was a hot air balloon ride through like the Grand Canyon and things like that. But um, I remember when you're down on the flat, all you can see is maybe 100 yards around you that you really notice anything. 
So you have a very, very limited perspective. When you get up in that balloon, all of a sudden you see everything for miles and miles around you. It changes your perspective. The same thing happens as you get older, right? When you're a young person, your focus is me and immediately what's just around me and, and I can do and be anything and I've got all these choices and options in front of me. And then as you go along, everything changes. But you begin to see differently in some very good ways because a young person has a lot harder time, excuse me, a lot harder time numbering their days. How many of you started saving money for retirement when you were in your teens? Anybody raise their hand? One person, okay. There are a few people that have, were probably instructed well by their parents, right? How many of you started saving what you, what you believe is a little late in life to make that great big of a difference? That's me. And I won't even ask who hasn't started saving yet for retirement. <laughs> Moses said, our life is like grass. It springs up in the morning, and then in pretty much a matter of hours, it's cut down and withers. We have a hard time laying hold of that perspective. That as believers, we have to work at numbering, learning to number our days to cultivate an eternal perspective. We read that verse in 2 Corinthians 14. We don't focus on the things that are seen or visible. We choose to focus on what is invisible. In Hebrews chapter, well, I'm going to go ahead. I'll get to that in a second. I want to just briefly mention seven things that numbering our days should cause us to do. You know, our, our life is like a river, right? How many of you have ever stood on a bridge and watched the river go by? I love doing that. You see a stick coming, and the stick comes by, and, and then it's gone. It's around the bend, and it's, you never get it back. That's the way our lives are. This moment is gone. We can't do anything about what's behind us, can we? Not a thing. The first thing we should realize is that numbering our days causes us to remember that we are mortal. That it's only a matter of time. Having a heart attack was probably the best thing that happened to me back in 2012 because it forced me to really realize and take hold of the fact that I, didn't, I wasn't going to live forever. It's an illusion. We've got to come to terms with that. There's a cemetery just out here by the veterinarian, right? How many of you know that whether it's that cemetery or another one, we're all going to end up having a plot there unless your ashes are scattered somewhere? It's a good thing to be able to say to yourself, my life is going to be over one of these days. So what am I going to do with the days I have? Number two, it should cause us to think beyond this mortal life. Hebrews 9.27, the author says, It's appointed for men 
to die once. But after this comes the judgment. Do you live your life or even think about the fact that we will stand before the Lord in judgment? Do you think about the fact that in a matter of days, we will stand before the king to give an account for our lives? Now, as believers, we will not stand there to determine our salvation. Aren't you glad? But we will stand before the king to give an account for how we spent our time and the resources that he gave us. You guys remember the parable of the talents. All those guys were given different amount of talents. Two guys went out and used what they were doing to invest, to increase for the kingdom of God. One guy buried his under a rock. And we also will stand before Jesus as not the humble carpenter Jesus, but the glorified King Jesus who you can barely even look at because of his glory. If you want to understand what that is, read Revelation chapter 1. Apostle tells us in 1 Corinthians 3, I think it's the next slide, yeah. Anyone who builds, that there's going to come a judgment day, on that judgment day, fire will reveal the kind of work that we've done on this earth. He says that we lay up either precious stones and gold and silver, which are things that we do that bless God and do as a response of our love and our obedience to the Lord. Or he says that we can lay up wood, hay, or straw, and stubble, which are those things which we do for ourselves, or we do out of the fear of man, or we do out of selfishness, but are not done for the glory of God or by the inspiration of God. So the Apostle Paul says that, that when that day comes, when we die, that we're going to stand before this big pile, a big pile, and he's going to put the torch to that pile, and everything that is not fireproof is going to go whoosh. And the question is, what are you going to have left? What are you going to have left? How much gold, silver, precious stones will there be in your pile? I had a Bible, Bible uh, college professor that had a dear friend when they were teenagers. Um, a missionary came to their church and preached and had an altar call for those that believed God was calling them to the mission field and he or to the ministry. And he and his friend both felt a strong anointing of God to respond to that altar call. They went up to the front and they dedicated themselves to follow the Lord Jesus into whatever ministry he would lead them into. And my friend Rick said that about a two years later, his friend got engaged to a lady and that lady said, I want to marry you, but I am not going to marry a pastor. And she put her foot down and this young man finally said, well, I guess I can serve God in the business world. And he walked away from the call of God on his life. And when he did that, he ended up living the rest of his life miserable. And my friend, my, my Bible professor, Rick, 
had a dream, and in the dream, he and this friend were both standing before the Lord in the judgment, and they both had a big pile in front of them. All you could see was the straw and the hay and stubble, and he said that when the, when the Lord pointed in that fire and his friend's pile burned away, that there was nothing there, that he had thrown his life away and, and rejected the call of God. Now, we're thankful because the end of that scripture says that the builder, even if the work is burned up, the builder will, will suffer great loss, but the builder will be saved, but saved like someone who just gets out of a house that's on fire, escaping through a wall of flames. So this morning, what's your pile going to look like? Are you building into the kingdom of God? It doesn't mean you're called to pastor or anything. It has to do with how am I responding with the opportunities God has given me now in this life in time and resources? What am I doing? Am I living my life for the Lord to see His kingdom grow? Or am I living for myself? Because we will stand before Jesus. And it says, Paul says, therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, and he goes on to talk about living a life that glorifies God. The third step, or the third thing that numbering our days should do for us is it should change the way we look at physical death. 2 Corinthians 5.1, Paul says, We know that if our earthly house, this tent, that's what this is, say, I've got a tent, I've got a tent. If this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Well, some of us, the tent is getting rather worn and torn and uh, has holes in it and it's lost its covering. And uh, so we're looking forward to that tent that's made not with human hands, but it's made that's a heavenly body that we will be clothed in. And I know it's got to be at least 40 pounds lighter than this one. So we have to look at this physical, mortal life with our bodies going downhill, and we know that at some point it's going to give out, right? It's going to give out. Something's going to wear out. Our bodies can only handle so many miles, right? When you've got an old car that's got racked up three, or 400,000 miles, you know you're taking your chances, right? It could be any day. It could be any day with you and me. A liver, a kidney, a lung. My mom was walking in her house one day. She was 70 years old, and she all of a sudden she lost control and lost balance and fell on the floor. So they took her into the emergency room, and they did an MRI, and they found out she had a a tumor in her brain. And then they found out she had a big tumor in her lung that she was completely unaware of. My mom had smoked for 50 years and then had quit 10 years before. It was already too late. She had a, a lung tumor, and the seed from that lung tumor went up to her brain. And they couldn't get at that brain tumor. They tried. A year and a half later, my mom was gone. In that year and a half time, she looked like, she went from looking like a normal 69, 70-year-old person to about a 90-year-old person. It was horrendous to watch. And it reminded me 
I only have so many days. What am I going to do? How am I going to use those days? So it should change the way we look at our physical death. Matthew 10, Jesus said in verse 28, Do not fear those who can kill the body. I don't know how much this applies to us because how many of us are threatened with the loss of our physical lives right now? Not us. How many of you remember watching those 21 Egyptian Christians that were beheaded by ISIS a few years ago? I couldn't watch it. I saw the row of them lined up, and that was as far as I could go. I can't deal with that. Jesus said, don't fear them who can only kill the body. Can only kill the body. But he says, rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell? I'll tell you something, it's not the devil. When Jesus says fear somebody, he's talking about fearing the Lord. Moses talked quite about that in Psalm 90. The fourth thing numbering our day should do is cause us to evaluate our daily actions, our daily activity. Because God sees all of us as builders. In fact, why don't you say this out loud? I am a builder and didn't know it. I'm a builder and didn't know it. Because you are. You're building a kingdom. You're either building your own kingdom, the enemy's kingdom, or God's kingdom. And when you're building your own kingdom, you're building the enemy's kingdom, whether you want to believe that or not. The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, he says, See that you walk circumspectly, not like fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Some old-style words there. To walk circumspectly means to walk in such a way that you are able to see what's going on around you. Another word for that would be to be vigilant. So he says, walk in such a way that you're aware of what's going on. And not like fools. Fools walk, they don't even pay attention to what's going on. They just blunder through things. It's the typical, you know, the stereotypical bull in a china closet. Paul says, walk wisely, being aware of what's going on around you, not just in the physical realm, but the spiritual realm. And then he says, redeeming the time. Redeeming is another word we don't use too often, which it really literally means to buy back. But what he's saying there is that make the best use of time with a spiritual perspective of the time that God has given you, the time that is in front of you. If you're getting ready to go to college, redeeming the time would be going before the Lord and saying, God, I want my life to glorify you. Where do you want me to be trained and educated? If you're getting ready to get a job or change jobs, it would be going, Lord God, I want you to place me in a place where all the time I put in for my employer is going to be used by you and will bless you, not just provide for me, 
and my family, but will increase and advance the kingdom of God and your purposes, Lord. You're getting married or want to get married. Are you praying for a spouse that you will be able to partner with to see God work powerfully through your lives and your marriage? We need to redeem the time. You're not going to get back time behind you, but you can choose how the time in front of you is going to be impacting. So evaluating our daily activity. The fifth step or the fifth thing that numbering our days will do for us, it'll affect how we see people who don't know the Lord. Right? When I was not walking with God, I didn't really care about the people in, around me and their eternal condition. But now that we know the Lord and we know that we only have a limited amount of days left, and we know that we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and that if we don't know Christ, that unless we receive Christ at some point, that eternal destiny is eternal separation in darkness and in torment for those who don't know Christ. Now, you guys have heard me say before, God does not send anybody to hell. People choose to go to hell because they choose to reject Christ or do nothing about receiving Jesus. God gives every person a chance. I firmly believe that. It says that he's completely just and completely righteous. And so I believe even people who never get a chance to hear of Jesus won't be judged on whether they rejected Jesus that they were told about because they weren't told. But I do believe, in, and, and the Scripture bears this out, that God judges a people according to the light that they have, the understanding, the revelation that they have. And if they reject when God knocks on their door, then the destiny that they get is a destiny they choose. Do you care about people who don't know the Lord? Do you care whether their eternal destiny is going to be in heaven or apart from God for eternity? Do you care? If you don't care, it's an indication you need God to work in your heart. I've cried out to the Lord so many times, God, give me a heart, a heart to care for those who don't know you, a heart to care enough that I would share the good news with that person. The times that I've been able to do that and then sometimes been able to lead someone or see someone receive Christ as a, as a response, partly to my testimony, are some of the most exciting things. When I get to heaven, I'm not going to have just wood, hay, and stubble. Hopefully, I'm going to have something there that's going to last because of sharing my faith with people who found the Lord. So numbering our days should change how we see people who don't know Christ. Remember the Lazarus and the rich man? It was a, Jesus tells a story, and he said, it's not a parable. This is a real thing. There was a rich man who had everything he wanted on the earth, and then there was a guy named Lazarus who was a beggar at his gate. They both died, and they both went to what's called um, Abraham's bosom. It was a place where there was a big... Cliff, or excuse me, a big chasm between two sides. On the one side were people who were in torment. On the other side were people 
that were in Abraham's bosom in the sense of place like heaven. This is in Luke chapter 17, I believe. And the guy who is the rich man is on the torment side. And he cries out to Abraham and says, Abraham, please send somebody over here to give me at least a drink of water. Put a, a little drop of water in my tongue. This torment is so horrendous. I can't handle it. And, and Abraham said, you had your whole lifetime to wine and dine. You could have prepared your soul for death. And you didn't do it. And he asked if he'd even send Lazarus, who's now whole and healthy and living with it, to come over and help him. Then he says, well, please send Lazarus or somebody back to tell my brothers and sisters, my family, that this is what's going to happen to them if they don't get their hearts right with God. And what does Moses say or Abraham say? He says, they have the Bible. All they got to do is read it. And they'll have the same amount of information and opportunity that you have. So tragic. It's not a story. It's true. It's real. Number six, numbering our days will affect how we act towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. Romans 14, Paul says, Why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Yes, each one of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. If we know we're going to stand before the Lord in a moment, a matter of days to have the video played of our past, not that we're going to be sent to hell, but as, as it plays back and shows how we made decisions, how we handled money, how we handled time, those things, the resources God gave us, the relationships. What is, what is it going to show on how we treated the family of God? Did we get angry at somebody that mistreated us or overlooked us and misunderstood us? And hell, and we, did we hold resentment? And we just decided, well, I'm not having anything to do with them anymore. And you distance yourself. You hold unforgiveness. Or you become angry and bitter towards them. Is that going to hold up when you get in front of Jesus? No way. You're going to look like a big fool at that point and go, why couldn't I love them like Jesus loved me? Why couldn't I forgive them as Christ forgave me? Why did I cause them to stumble by my hard-heartedness, rejecting them, distancing them? You know, God purposely sends people into your life and my life to rub us the wrong way. Because he wants to get at those sharp edges in you and me. God has sent what we call grace growers into my life numerous times. Because he wants to teach me how to love like Jesus does. To forgive like Jesus does. He wants to teach you how to love and forgive like Jesus does. We have a, a person in our church that recently said they were being persecuted at their job. And I sent back Matthew chapter 5 and a couple other verses. And, um, and they said, all right, okay, I'm going to determine to love this person 
to, it said, Jesus said to bless them, those who persecute you and spitefully use you. I'm going to bless them. I'm going to pray for them. And that person started doing that. A week later, they wrote me back another text and said, I can't believe my whole heart has changed. I'm now full of love for this person, and I'm now laughing when they persecute me. It doesn't mean anything anymore. What a wonderful testimony of the transforming power of Jesus. But are we giving God a chance to do that in our hearts, or are we just backing away from people saying, well, that person's poisonous. That person's not safe for me. So I'm going to give them plenty of room, and I'm going to stay away from them. Is that how Jesus has really called us to act and treat one another? God puts people in our lives like that to teach us how to forgive and love, how to push through insults, how to help people that are probably wounded themselves. Because as we've often heard, hurt people hurt people. And there's a story behind every hurt person. And if we would get to love them and know them and press into a relationship, we would find that they're probably pretty amazing people that can actually be healed and become even better people. But they need their brothers and sisters in Christ to be in their lives. That's really one of the main reasons why God calls us into a local church, into church relationships. It's so we can rub those edges off of one another. We can sharpen one another. We can fine-tune one another. We can be sandpaper for those edges and that God can cause us all to grow up into Christ. That's what Ephesians chapter 4 and 5 says very clearly. So really the person that you don't like is most likely the one that God wants you to get close to and begin to let God work in your heart. The person you despise, the person you're afraid of, that's probably God's assignment to you. Finally, Numbering our days should result in a spirit of humility and a heart of wisdom. James 3.13, James says, If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. Because when you know how short your life really is, it's pretty hard to have much of an ego, isn't it? When you know how weak you really are, it's kind of hard to be boastful. The Apostle Paul, who was probably one of the most amazing spiritual people in the world in our history, said, therefore I will glory in my weaknesses that the power of Christ can be manifested or demonstrated in me. And really when we're really honest with one another and really honest with ourselves and really honest with the Lord, we look at ourselves, we can say, I really do have a lot of problems. <laughs> I really do have a lot of issues. I really do have a temper. I really do. I really am impatient. At least my human fleshly nature is. In Christ, I'm not. But how many of us are really, really deeply in Christ? We need to develop and grow in our relationship in Christ. And so if we start out, if we can just say, you know what? I'm such a miserable sinner when I get my eyes off, off of the Lord. We can start there. God can actually help us. How many of you ever tried to counsel somebody and until they could actually admit they had an issue? Right, Sam? You're a counselor. You can't help somebody that doesn't have a problem, right? 
It's not until they can say, I've got a problem. So this morning as we close, put some things up here. Take time to number. Is there any more slides, Dale, or is there one before that? What's the one before that? I guess that was the last one. So this morning, how many days do you have left, left to live before you stand before Jesus? You should get your phone out, get the calculator, multiply how many years you think you have left by 365, and you'll have a very finite number. And for those of us that are past the midway mark, it gets scary. But it should do some very powerful things in you. It should, it should cause you to have humility, to really work towards reconciling and having peace with your brothers and sisters, to caring deeply about people who don't know the Lord Jesus, to really looking and scrutinizing your daily choices and actions and how you're spending the rest of your life the life that belongs to God, supposedly, should change the way you look at death. Are you afraid of death? I knew a Christian man who was so terrified of death that I couldn't even talk about it. And he was 86 and he was dying. And I could not mention to him and talk about the fact that he was going to die. He was so terrified of dying. That's an irrational fear. Because death is inevitable. Unless Jesus returns in my lifetime, and that's a possibility. I hope so. But the chances of that aren't too great. I mean, he hasn't returned yet. We know it's coming, but the chances aren't that great. He's still got a bit of work to do on this earth, I think. It should cause you to think beyond this mortal life. What is my eternity going to look like? This morning... I encourage you to come and pray, even if it's only for a moment or two, and just to say, God, I just really want to take hold of this truth, that my life is fleeting, and I really want it to count. I really want to be able to stand before you like the Apostle Paul who said, I've run my race, I've fought the good fight, and I know that now there's laid up for me a crown of life for those who love the Lord. Is that what you're going to say? Is that what you can say this morning? Or maybe you need to come up here and say, Lord, I need to repent for the choices I've been making. I've been living my life for me. I've been living my life and staying in the comfort zone. I haven't cared about other people that are going to hell because they don't know you. I haven't even cared about them. I've just been focused on me. If that's you this morning, you need to come and pray. We'll have some people come up in just a few moments to be here to pray with you if you wish that. Or you can just come up and just spend some time before the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Moses. wrote that amazing psalm in which he said to us, instructed us to number our days. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes to see from an eternal perspective that we would stop navigating through this life based on what's physically in front of us, what's available to our six senses, and we begin to live in the realm of the spiritual and the supernatural, which is actually more real than our physical existence. And God, we would begin to live light, life in the light of eternity. 
God, I pray for your people that your Holy Spirit would convict them, that they would come and they would, they would repent and turn and turn to you and cry out to you to give them eyes to see from eternity's viewpoint. We just thank you this morning for the power of your word, and we ask that you would do a mighty work in us, cause us to be a people that's so in love with you and so committed to following you, Lord God, that we would be an amazing light in this community. Oh, God, have mercy on us, we pray. Teach us to number our, our days that we might apply our hearts to wisdom. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.